Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. But I want to highlight a section of Scripture here that points us to our need and necessity that we have repentance, revival, and renewal. Those are three areas that we are in desperate need of this morning. So would you look with me there in Revelation chapter 3? We'll do a responsive reading. It is several verses, so so bear with me as we go through this. We're going to read um, the story of the church of Laodicea, verses 14 through verse 22. You will read the even verses, and I will read the odd verses. So you're going to begin this morning in verse number 14, and that is, um, and I'll begin with you, and then I'll drop out. Let's read down through verse 22. Here we go. And unto the angel... I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Can I just stop right there? Does that not describe the United States of America? We are rich and basically we have no need of anything. We hoard our toilet paper and our groceries and things like that. We have, uh, we have garages full of things that we have since forgotten what was in there. And some of you even have storage buildings, one, two, three storage buildings of things that you don't even know what's in there anymore. I, I say this verse is 100% true. We are filthy rich. We are increased with materialistic things. And basically, we have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Father, as I prepared this message, you spoke to my own heart. I realized that this is a message that we all stand in need of and how you convicted me through through your word. So, Father, I'm asking that thy Holy Spirit will have freedom over this service, that you would control thoughts, you would control my words, you would control every part of this service in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a most interesting passage of Scripture. Uh, This represents a church and a prophetic future, uh, projected period of time, if you will. And I believe that we are currently living in this very time period. 
John's prophetic passage of Scripture has come to fruition. Consider this. We live in a time when families are failing. The divorce rate is staggering. Parenting is left to society. Children are abused. Children are unwanted. Premarital sex and even homosexuality are considered normal, accepted. We live in a time when government is scandalous. We're not even surprised to learn of the worst scandals in the highest offices of our land. We don't look to our government for leadership, but with a suspicious eye. We're in a time when violence is rampant. We lock our doors and we set our alarms and we pack our pistols and we pray that our families are not next. We live in a time when churches are irrelevant. Consider Many mainline churches and denominations, they no longer believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. Preachers will now actually stand behind their pulpit and they will say this, I've seen the clips, heard the words with my very own ears. Well, we know, folks, that the Bible contains the Word of God. May I just tell you, the Bible is the Word of God. And preachers now, uh, they have watered down the gospel to some type of social gospel because they don't want to offend anyone by saying, your lifestyle is in direct contrast to the Word of God. Preachers don't want to say today that your sin will send you to hell. My friend, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that. But churches are irrelevant today because they're not willing to preach the Bible. We live in a time when people are perishing. Every single day of the week, people die and they open their eyes in the torment of an eternal hell because they rejected Jesus Christ, because they decided that in this lifetime, that listen, I want to live my life. I want to be increased in goods. I want all the materialistic things. I want, I want, I want, and I don't need Jesus. And today, they are in hell. As we look in the Bible, we can see a time in history when God's people were in a great need of prayer and repentance and revival. And at that time, God gave a glimpse of his holiness to an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah. And so this morning, I would like for us to rewind. I would like for us to relive a portion of scripture found in the book of Isaiah. And bear with me as I uh, read these eight verses quickly this morning so that we can understand how that we can prepare our own hearts for Resurrection Sunday and that 100% of us, every single person this morning will understand, I need to be ready for Easter. I need to be ready for Resurrection Sunday. I need revival. I need renewal. Listen to what the Bible says, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Did you you see the parallel? We read just about a throne in Revelation chapter number 3. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke." 
Then said I, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, saying, a live, With a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Isaiah, here am I, send me. This morning I would like to share with you four truths about repentance and revival and renewal for our own personal lives and our amazing church. And uh, Easter with just being three weeks away, may God help us to prepare right now for that uh, for that Easter Sunday. Let's not wait until Saturday, April the 16th to get ready in some token. Oh yeah, tomorrow's Easter, Lord, thank you. May we begin preparing right now. Here's truth number one that I would like to share with you this morning, and that is this. God's holiness convicts me to repent. God's holiness convicts me to repent. Let me give you a little bit of background as we understand Isaiah and Uzziah. A, uh, an Old Testament prophet was like a, if I could say it this way, he was like a prosecuting etern uh, attorney. What he would do is he would, uh, he would indict the nation of Israel for their sins against God. And he would deliver blistering judgments that were ever punctuated with this phrase, Thus saith the Lord. And such a man was Isaiah. Isaiah was unique among the prophets in that he was a statesman with access to the kings and to the courts. Uh, here is a portrait of God's call in his life. In verse number 1, it tells us uh, uh, this calling took place in the year that King Uzziah died, or about the 8th century B.C., now, Uzziah was uh, a king, and he became king at the age of 16. Can you imagine a 16-year-old? Well, maybe a 16-year-old might do a better job than what's going on in Washington, D.C. today. But a 16-year-old was the king, and he reigned over Jerusalem for some 52 years. Imagine having one president through the administrations of Kennedy and Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, and Obama. That's how long Uzziah was the king over Israel. He had been a, a good king for the most part, but at the end of his life, pride finally led to his downfall. A beloved human king was dead. And then in this process of a king dying, Isaiah saw the king of kings. And, and the king of kings was sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, the Bible says, when he entered into the temple of the Lord. John 12 and verse 41 tells us of the one Isaiah saw was really Jesus. It says, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, I want us to, in our finiteness, in our, in, in, in our, uh, in our ability not to see as God sees, but only as men and women sees, I want us to try to grasp the eyeful of God's holiness that Isaiah saw. 
The Bible says the train filled the temple. Today, the only train that you will see is usually on a bridal gown as the bride walks down the aisle. But in the days of old, monarchs, they would wear a beautiful robe with long trains that followed behind them, and his servants often had to carry that train. The Bible says the train uh, of his robe signified the majesty of God that filled this temple. Above, the Bible says, God's throne stood seraphims. I would, unless you read this portion of scripture this past week, I dare say not a one of you have used this word this week. What in the world is a seraphim? It is an angel. This is the only passage in the Bible where these special agents are even mentioned. It seems that they are special creatures that God created to specifically minister while in the presence of God. We don't know how many were there, but they are described as each one of them had six wings. And with two, the the face was covered. God told Moses, for there shall no man see me and live. God is so holy that even the angels in his presence cannot bear to look upon his face. Oh, sometimes that's hard for us to comprehend. But the Bible says with two, his feet were covered. When Moses met God at the burning bush, I remind you that he said, Put off thy shoes from, uh, uh, from, where, the, from where you are standing, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Feet often symbolize our creatureliness. Uh, And although angels are spirit beings, even they cannot stand in the presence of God. The Bible goes on to say uh, that with two, they did fly. And though we don't know how many seraphims there were, you could just picture with your eyes that they hovered around the throne of God. The angels, the Bible says, cried to one another. They sang, if you will, and Uh, uh, together. And they sang this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, In English, when we want to emphasize a word, we use punctuation. We'll use an exclamation point. In Hebrew, when something is to be emphasized, it is repeated uh, for emphasis. Jesus would often say this, verily, verily for emphasis, or he would say, truly, truly. But here, the Bible says God uh, is so holy and so uh, uh, amazing in his holiness that it's the only place in all of God's word where it says he is holy, holy, holy. I remind you this morning, the Bible never says God is powerful, powerful, powerful. And nowhere in the Word of God, and and this rubs some people wrong, but never anywhere in God's Word it says God is love, love, love. His greatest, most amazing attribute is that He is holy. The Bible says the post of the door moved at the voice of Him uh, as as if it were an earthquake just to hear that voice. I I remember when Shelly and I lived in 1988 in San Pablo, California, that we went uh, through our, or I went through my very first earthquake as we were there in our tiny apartment and it seemed like the whole building shook. And what was that? And as the ground shook, our building shook. May I just tell you, the voice of God is so powerful that the ground shakes. The Bible says the house was filled with smoke. May I say, church, as a church, we need a renewed vision of God's holiness. Sometimes we are so 
proud, egotistical, and, and, and we don't really think we need God. When Isaiah got a, this awesome vision of God's holiness, I have no doubt that he was driven to his knees to the place of prayer. Prayer is that link to our understanding of God. And when believers see the holiness of God through the eyes of Isaiah, they're going to find this uh, great awe in the truth that we serve such a holy God and that we can actually speak to him. That's amazing. We forget we can speak to this holy God. We need prayer in the churches. Biblical uh, uh, churches all over this country need a renewed vision of God's holiness that drives them to pray. May I just tell you, we need to have some prayer for Easter Sunday. And we as a church need to pray for those who are ministered to us in music. We need to pray for the preaching of the Word of God on Easter Sunday. We need to pray for the people that will be here on Easter Sunday. We need to pray that God will, that God will have His way among the church on Easter Sunday. We need to pray. We need to pray in our homes. You see, holiness comes in a marriage when husbands and wives, they honor God in their home. And, and holiness comes in a family when a family prays together. I, I remember growing up that I would hear this, that a family that prays together stays together. And we need some families that will make prayer a priority in their home. We need to pray as individuals. You need to pray. You need to talk to the Lord. And nothing promotes holiness. Nothing changes a life like time spent in prayer. I submit to you that when Isaiah was privileged to see the holiness of God in this vision that he was driven to his knees in prayer. May I also say, not only do our churches need a vision of God's holiness, but our nation needs a basic understanding of God's holiness. Our nation is wicked. Our nation is espousing things that make God sick. Our nation is... Is, is making uh, uh, um, uh, mistakes that are going to reverberate for generations should God tarry. May I just tell you that the newest uh, version of Toy Story, uh, due, to the, due to the peer pressure that's come out, may I just tell you that Disney now will have two female characters kissing in their latest version of Toy Story. May I just tell you that makes God sick and it should make us sick too. But it's normal now. It's accepted now. May I just tell you that in the face of God's holiness, God sent Jesus Christ to die for that garbage called sin. Now let me just say, there will be some families here that have no problem letting your children watch toy, the next Toy Story movie. And you are going to expose your children to an ungodly sin in that movie. And that just came out. That just announced this past week. And so we live in a time when our nation is sin sick. And, and, and our nation needs this basic understanding that God is holy. Our nation fears many things. May I just tell you some of the things that our nation fears? Inflation. We talk about it. Our nation fears rising interest rates. And they've gone up. Our nation fears a recession. 
Everyone's talking about it. It has to happen. Our nation fears a loss of jobs. Our nation fears the devaluation of the dollar. Our nation fears the national debt, knowing that at some point there has to be an accounting for that. Our nation fears drug abuse and gangs and violence and crime and nuclear weapons and the potential of terrorist attacks. Our nation fears that that we might be drawn into a war and that our men and women would have to go off to war. But may I just tell you this, that though our nation has many fears, there's no or little fear for a holy God. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, and fear not them which are able to kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Our nation has no longer has a fear of God. Our nation will only learn to fear God when they see his holiness lived out in the prayerful lives of his people and his church. Well, I've spent far too long on just one, one truth this morning, so let me hasten to give you truth number two this morning, and that is, is that prayer forces me to repent. Prayer forces me to repent. Isaiah was driven to his knees in repentance. He said, woe is me, for I'm undone. That term woe is archaic. It means judgment and pity. Woe is a biblical word that's the antithesis of blessed. Jesus said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees. Uh, Isaiah also said that he was undone. This word means to come apart at the seams. In the presence of God, Isaiah was literally falling apart when he realized that he was nothing in the presence of God. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And when Isaiah glimpsed at God's holiness, he saw uh, where he stood in comparison. God was so holy, and Isaiah was so unholy that his unholiness manifests itself particularly in his lips. Literally, he was saying this, I have a dirty mouth. He further states that his people also have a dirty mouth or unclean lips. Not only could he not measure up, neither could anyone else measure up. And he realized that all men and women are desperately wicked and desperately sinful. And he says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw who God was and simultaneously understood who he really was. Our church needs to be driven to our knees in repentance. So often, the most prideful people in this world are Christians. And I say that sadly this morning. We find more in common with the Pharisees than we do with Isaiah. Believers often look to God as some type of Santa Claus who only gives them what they want. And prayers are often the greedy gimmies instead of repentful worship. I'd like to ask you a direct question this morning. When is the last time you and me actually ask God to forgive us of our wickedness? Forgive us of our sin. And we were driven to our knees, and we actually confessed our sin before God. Our nation desperately needs repentance. Our nation's spiritual life is dependent upon the repentance of Christians. And every one of us must demonstrate to a lost and a dying world that we are a desperate group of people who agonize over our unholiness before a thrice holy God. My friend, our nation will never turn around through an election. 
may I say that again, our nation will never turn back to God through an election. Our nation will turn back to God when Christians get serious about God's holiness and our unholiness and our desire to get right with God. Truth number three, because prayer will cause me to repent, repentance will lead to a revival. Repentance will lead to a revival. Do you want to see revival in our land? Do you want to see revival in our churches? It's going to come as we repent. Isaiah, he experienced the forgiveness of God. And though God is holy, he's also gracious and merciful and compassionate. And he sent one of those seraphims with a, with a live coal taken from the altar. And the Bible says that the angel or the seraphim touched uh, Isaiah's mouth with, the, with that live coal. The mouth is the most sensitive part of our body. Isaiah's dirty mouth was being cauterized, if you will, by a holy fire. And this symbolized God's forgiveness uh, due to Isaiah's repentance. The angel tells Isaiah that his iniquity is taken away, that his sin is purged. It means it was atoned for. Our church, our church, Tucson Baptist Church can experience God's grace through personal revival. I remind you what 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 says, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The greatest need of our nation is not for inflation to go down. The greatest need of our nation is not for the interest rates to drop. The greatest need in our nation is not for the national debt to be reduced. The greatest need in our nation is not more oil. The greatest need in our nation is for our country to have a revival, a turning back to the things of God. We need to beg God for his forgiveness for our nation. We need to intercede and be bold. And we need to speak the truth. And we don't need to cower in the face of sin and wickedness. Do we believe that God could send another revival in our country? If we don't believe it, it's not going to happen. If we're not willing to repent, it's not going to happen. Fourth truth, and finally this morning, revival guides me to renew. Some of you are so tired and beaten down and weary and worn out and ready to throw in the towel, ready to quit, ready to give up. Do you want to be renewed? Let me tell you that Isaiah had a renewed passion to serve God. When's the last time you had a passion to serve God? You had a passion to do something for God. After having glimpsed at God's holiness, being driven to his knees in prayer, responding in humility, receiving God's forgiveness, Isaiah immediately felt the need to serve. He was compelled to serve. The Lord said, who shall I send? Who's going to go for us? And no sooner had these words been spoken by God, Isaiah, he cried out from his heart, Here am I! Send me. And here's what I find. Isaiah's experience before God's throne forever changed his life. And if we can ever have a grasp of God's holiness in comparison to our unholiness, 
it will drive us to pray, it will drive us to repent, and there will be renewal that comes from that revival in our heart and life. Now his service to God was not out of obligation, it was not out of duty, but it was from a willing, a liberated heart. He couldn't wait to serve God. May I say, Tucson Baptist Church needs a renewed passion to serve God. We need a renewed passion to serve God. Stop seeing church as an obligation. Stop seeing church as something that on Sunday morning I have to check off my list to do. Start seeing as an opportunity to serve. An opportunity to give back to my Lord. Pray for our country, of course. But seek God's holiness. Let it change your heart. Let Let you be the person that says, I am going to give my all to God. Now, let's go back to my text passage of Scripture. We looked at the church of Laodicea. And we read about the church of Laodicea. And I said that I believe we're living in this exact time frame right now in history that describes the church of Laodicea. May I remind you of two verses? As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what? Repent. Church, all of us should repent. Understanding that before God, we are unholy, desperate sinners in need of a Savior. And may I just tell you, verse 20 says this, Behold! I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will sup with him. I'm going to be with that person. Do you want to experience the presence of God? Open your heart's door. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Resurrection Sunday 2022 could be our last Because Jesus is coming back. I don't know. And neither do you. But I think we should prepare as if it's going to be. And I think that we should absolutely invite everyone that we can from our neighbors and from our co-workers and from our family members to come in here on one of the two Sundays that we can generally speak and get someone in church. Easter and Christmas. And church, let's let our community hear about the holiness of of God and how they can change a life. But before we do that, may each one of us get right. May each one of us repent of anything that might hinder the working of the Holy Spirit. May each one of us try to just grasp a glimpse of the holiness of God. And if we do, we'll repent, we will be revived, and we will experience renewal. It's college basketball. And everyone's so excited and they have passion about basketball. Or it's springtime and everyone's excited about getting outside again and going to the park. And we can't wait till swimming pools open up. And we can't wait for this thing and that thing. And we are excited. Oh, listen, there's spring breaks over. We have one more segment of school. And I can't wait. Summertime is coming and there's going to be a vacation and I get to go do something fun. We often are passionate about everything but God. And we're looking for the next exciting thing. 
Could for three weeks we get excited and passionate about the things of God? Is it possible that we could try that? If we will take this morning's message, view it through the lens of Isaiah, we would see this morning that I need to repent. And Jesus has already provided the way. He's already provided the atonement. He's already provided the forgiveness of my sins. I need to have some passion about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't need it to be an obligation. I need it to be a passion. 